Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm a transformational leader and an instigator of joy. And I use human design, professional coaching, and intuition to help people relax into their true essence so they can experience more ease, joy, and abundance. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Oh my goodness. So how are you doing? How are you? How's your heart? How's your mind? How's your nervous system? I am geeking out about all things nervous system right now, but that's not even what I want to talk to you about right now. I want to talk about energy hygiene. My friend, Caitlin Gehring recently sent out this beautiful email about energy hygiene, and she's going to be on the podcast again in a couple of weeks. She's already been on twice so far, maybe even three times, but we need her to come back to talk about collapsing time that is coming up. So stay tuned. But meanwhile, energy hygiene. So every center in our human design chart that is white is one where we feel and amplify other people's energy. And that includes the energy from the collective. And the fewer white centers that you have in your chart, the more intensely you're going to feel other people's energy. I have two white centers, my crown and my ajna. So both my head centers and lately, oh man, oh man. I don't know if it's because I've gone to like new places and been exposed to new people's energy, but I, I feel these beliefs pop up into my mind and I'm like, wait, that's not mine. Or I even feel something come out of my mouth and I'm like, what, who said that? That's, I don't, that's actually not my belief. And Caitlin's email came at the perfect time for me to double down on all the stuff I've been slacking off on, which is the, the consistent clearing out the consistent request, please return all energy that isn't mine to sender with compassion. I tend to say it more eloquently than I just did, but the, the whole deal is ask the energy that's not yours to leave return to sender. I like to add compassion because why not? We all need compassion. I would love for that energy to be returned to the person with a hug. That is my dream. Well, you know, I have bigger dreams than that, but that, that is one I just kind of picture that like belief system that they have that landed in my head that I maybe didn't even realize was there until it came out of my mouth. And I was like, wait a second. Or even hours later, I was like, why did I say that? And I beat myself up over it. And then I'm like, Oh, it's not mine. Please return to sender with compassion. May all energy that is not my own leave now. So I, every morning I ask for Archangel Michael's protection. I imagine a purple bubble of light protecting me and my loved ones. So the only love can get through. I do the energy protection on the front end, but I forget to request that the energy leaves on the back end. And I forget to create my friend, Beth taught me this years ago. Oh goodness. It was definitely when we were lived in Maine, I would say like 10 years ago to take an energy shower. And so there's two ways to do this, to take an energy shower, like imagine you're standing in the shower and this can be the literal shower. And as the water realer imaginary rains down on you, just imagine it watching, washing off other people's energy. The other way that she taught me to do it is using a, like a vacuum, 
imagine this part is imaginary imagining a vacuum just like sucking out all the other people's energy and the way i do it and i actually have a meditation guiding people through this so kelsey goodness gracious practice what you preach is a purple tornado it's a purple tornado that goes in through the top of your head and goes in and cleans out all the stuff that isn't yours and makes it fly away so i am trying to add these practices. I mean, they take not even five minutes. And I do like, as I was driving home today from being in a public space, I was just trying to clear the energy as I was driving, just requesting, please return to sender with compassion. All right. Enough about me. Let's talk about Lael Jepsen. Lael and I met back when I don't know if I was in coaching school or considering coaching school, but I remember going to her house in Portland, Maine. We lived in a nearby town at the time and sitting on her floor and talking to her. And Lael is a fascinating person to have in my life because Lael and I have so ridiculously much in common. Sometimes it's, it's a bit like seeing of a different version of myself. Um, like we have similar body types, both have thick curly hair. She uses her hands a whole lot more than me. And yet, as I'm talking right now, I have a whole lot of hand action <laughs> probably because I'm thinking about Lael's energy, but Lael is just this ball of energy. And yet she is a two, four projector with only a defined ego and G center. So our charts are so different, but anyway, Lael is this dynamic, powerful, playful, curious world changer. She's a beautiful speaker, a beautiful storyteller. And about a month ago, she sent out this email that just, oh, I loved everything about it. She told this beautiful story about her father-in-law Clyde. And then just brought it into these really amazing questions. You know, I love some good questions. And so I reached out to her and like, she, I don't even know if Lael remembers the first time we met, but, um, it, it was important for me, not necessarily for her, for me saying, oh, this is possible. Oh, there's another person out there. Who's not following any of the rules. I can do this too. So I asked Lael after reading this email, I said, I love this so much. Will you please come share this story on the Find Your Awesome podcast? And she said, yes. So here we are. Lael starts out sharing that story. And then we go in so many juicy directions. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really love Lael's energy. And as much as I don't ever want to do video podcasts, just picture the most, like how dynamic can you get in a zoom screen? Lael's hands are part of her storytelling. Her body is fully involved in, in every word she speaks. It all, it all comes through and it is so beautiful to witness and really feel the energy flowing between us. And I know you're going to feel it too. And I highly recommend you get yourself on Lael's email list. You can do that at her website, which is shechanges.com. We've got that link in the show notes. So go check that out. 
All right, now time for me to get out of the way so you can listen to this conversation. I hope you love it. And if you do, please share it with other people you think would love it as well. I love you. You are a freaking miracle. Go forth and be awesome. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. It's me again. I forgot to tell you about the money class. The money class starts March 29th and I am so excited for it. Oh my goodness. So we are going to dig into human design around money, coaching around money, and these two magical, amazing books. We are going to find flow. We are going to experience joy. We are going to explore all of those limiting beliefs around money and everything else, because how you do one thing is how you do everything and how you do one thing can be how you do everything. So if you open yourself up into an abundance mindset in one area of your life, you can open up to an abundance mindset in all areas of your life. I am so excited about this. I really, truly never, ever, ever thought I would be leading something about money. When, oh my goodness, all my life, money has worn a suit. It's been a big monster. It's been like, I'm not like that. It's been, it's like been stern and cranky and worked in an office with all this dark wood and followed rules and wore shoes. And I was like, no, I, ugh. but guess what I found money is playful AF money likes to bounce and flow. It is golden and glowing. Money is unlimited. It is energy and it is all connected money, health, relationships, serving all of it. And it all comes down to joy. I really, really, really hope you will join me in the money class. As I mentioned, we start March 29th, which is a Tuesday. We're meeting Tuesday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern for eight weeks. You can get all the details and sign up in the link below. And you get a 30-minute mini human design reading with me when you sign up for the money class. So I really hope to see you there. And I hope to see you before as we do your mini human design reading. You are amazing. All right, this time for real, go listen to Lael and me. Enjoy. Lael, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, thanks for having me. So I've known about you. I don't have any idea when I remember sitting in your living room. Um, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason I had to have you on my podcast right now is because you told this story, this beautiful story in your email about Mm. your father-in-law. Can we just start out right with that story, please? You know, Absolutely. Clyde would love this. Um, so what, I don't know when this will air, but um, it's worthy of noting that a year ago, this, these were the last few days of his life. And so I'm so, it's such a poignant, at his heart, Clyde was a storyteller. Um, oh man, that guy could tell a story. He, he, he was the best. Um, so and I used to be his little 
like Ed McMahon to Johnny Carson, you know, I used to like, <laughs> like tell us a story, Clyde. Um, and so he would love nothing more that, that this elicited this conversation today. I think this is so apropos. So I feel him with me. Um, so I didn't plan on telling this story. I, but the, the thing, I guess I must've been thinking about the anniversary of his death and I was making my way uh, through February, which is historically my hardest month of the year. And it's heart, you know, I'm conscious of my heart in February. I'm closest to it probably. And I must've been thinking about that. And I, I thought of this story of Clyde, I think, I remember the day I met him um, in person. We, my husband, I was not from here. I'm very in, in my husband's family. I'm, I'm the, I'm the furthest away of anybody. So I'm from New Jersey, which it might be Mars to Northern Maine. So they found me a curious sort with all my hand gestures and my fast talking and my snark and my um, wild sort of ways and my swearing and all sorts of things. And I was also, my husband has four sisters. So I was also the first time like a new hen was introduced into the hen house. So I was the first woman to join, you know, the, the clan of Jepsons up in Northern Maine. And he, I arrived up, uh, we always left late at night. And so we would drive up in this pitch dark foreign land that I'd never been to. It was so, so dark up there. I'd never known darkness until I went to Northern Maine. And the porch light was on and he would always be outside waiting because he was impervious to the colds and it was in March. And, oh, the first time I met him was in March. Isn't that interesting? So I, we pull up in the car and I get out and he's clapping. That's the sound of arrival. He, he claps three times, like with, with, um, with, with um, hands that are um, firm, like boards. You know, they're not like, like the golf clapping that I was used to in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like, bam, bam, bam. And I don't know if it was because his hands were so weathered from pot being potato farmer um, and they were cold, but he never had gloves on and he always clapped three times. And it was like, he was, he, he was a really, um, he was a short man, relatively speaking. I'm five, nine, my husband's six, two. Um, and he was, he's like, I think he was like five, seven or five, eight and like 135 pounds soaking wet. I mean, so I remember marveling, how did this guy that I'm with come out of that guy? You know, like I can't even fathom that. And so he was, he's wiry and short, but he was a powerhouse apparently in the day, like picking up like Popeye, my husband talks about how he could lift a potato barrel. But that sensation, that sound of being clapped in as a way of welcoming, I, it was such a novel thing for me. I mean, I'm a loved person, you know, and I've experienced joy from the people in my life but that was audible. Um, it was like this, this, um, this thing that he was doing to pull me into him. 
even though he wasn't a touchy feely sort of guy. So I remember him clapping me in and my instinct was like to run into the claps, you know? (laughs) Well, that's not kind of who he is. You know, he wasn't, he would give one of those um, boxy hugs and I'm like an all in sort of hugger. And so there was this dance that I did with him of being anticipated, but not necessarily held um, with that same uh, story in my mind, you know, there was almost like an incongruence until I got to know, oh, this is how we do Northern Maine. Okay. Got it. Um, cause I come from a, I come from a family of like touchers, like they whack, whack you when they're excited about things. Um, but the clapping was just, I just listened for it over the years. So then when I had, ch- we had children and we had two, even the dogs, we've had uh, one, two, he knew one, two, three dogs that we've had all black lab versions of black labs. The dogs knew the clap. Um, the kids knew the clap. It would be something we would anticipate when we'd literally be driving up to Northern Maine and the road was called Jepson Road. I mean, it's just such a foreign concept to me that my, my last name is now that name. And we would look forward to it. Every time you get out of the car, it was a pitch black night, only the porch light was on, but you could hear Clyde clapping. And so I was reflecting on that recently of that's the sound in my mind. That's the soundtrack that goes with anticipating joy. That's what it sounds like, clap, clap, clap. And I started reflecting on my own life and then the work that I do with other people and our own training in this society, be it language or behaviors of how infrequently we allow ourselves the gift of anticipating joy. Yeah, we anticipate the the hard stuff. And what happens when we anticipate the hard stuff, we like contract in our body. Yep. So what would happen to your body as you started anticipating his clapping? My, I mean, it's funny you asked this question because I've, I've actually never thought about it, but my, it's like a little kid when, um, I used to do it as a little kid and I think I do it as an adult, but I throw my arms out wide and I go, yay. <laughs> like, I think there's a party here, you know, like my arms go up and out to the mm-hmm. side. And I literally get bigger. I've never thought about that. Mm, and you take Kelsey. up more space. I take up more space. And I'm celebrated in taking up more space, which how often, how often does that happen for me as a woman? You know, the, and, and I'm a tall a, woman. Uh, exactly. As a tall woman. Mm. I'm, I'm I have 511. long arms, long legs. I am not missed frequently, you know, like I, people see me coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it was a great moment. And, uh, but I started thinking of, and here's where I went to, I think you and I had a couple back and forth conversations, right? About um, you shared with me your response to it, which was awesome. And I got an overwhelming, like a tsunami response from readers. Um, so clear, I love when that happens because clearly I've, I'm not alone and I've tapped into something that's bigger than me and in, in us, which is always really exciting as a writer, as a storyteller. Um, and I started to want to, to live there a little bit. Sometimes I do a piece of writing and it's resonant. It's like, yay, that was fun. Now where, where am I going? And this one I found, no, I want to, I want to like 
live here. I want to occupy this space a little bit longer. And so I started to, um, I remember sending the initial email with that story, getting the response. And I sat with it over the course of the weekend. It was a really snowy weekend. We had a big snowstorm up here in Maine. So we were kind of like housebound and sort of like, don't get out of your PJs all day, at least in our house. Yeah. It doesn't take much to keep me in you know, my it's Your typical snow, snow day protocol. Yeah, snow day. And I thought about congruence with myself, like walking my talk. Is this something I just say I do? Or is this something I actually um, practice? Like I, I, bet I was writing a course at the time uh, that has since launched about practices, these practices that I call my flying buttresses. And, and, you know, the practice of embodiment or um, divinity, or there's all these different practices. So I was sort of in that headspace of thinking about practices. And I thought of clapping in joy. And I thought of the big moments, the obvious moments, the extraordinary moments of like anticipating a trip. And I think I wrote, you might've remember reading the next um, week I wrote about the obvious things like when I, my husband and I decided to go to Paris for the first time and every, I bought the tickets, you know, eight months in advance. And every time I would see a plane fly, you know, the planes that are going to Europe that are really, really high. And I would see it on my way back, walking home from work um, in the old port. And I would be like, Paris, you know, and that was me like, you know, I'm so excited, like, oh my God, I'm going to Paris. And that, those are the big moments. Uh, the looking forward to things. Um, but I was really intrigued about the ordinary everyday moments. That's what I was getting at. That's what I wanted more for myself is the, the pedestrian, ordinary, like everyday things. And I, so I started to really get curious and I'm still curious about the little things that I do um, you know, like I've started to notice, uh, when I work with clients, I, I, um, I work, I work very intensely with my clients. So I see my clients Wednesdays and Thursdays back to back, like, boom, there I am. Cause that's how I do me the best. And my clients know this and they show up and it's great. But I, after doing that for two days, a Thursday, I literally feel like I have stories entangled in my hair. I have really thick curly hair and I have like my ears are full. My heart is full. You know, sometimes I'm carrying shit that my clients are navigating. Um, and I've started to notice that the, I come home and I take a shower and I sluice off all and that is me clapping in the joy of entering the, the weekend. Like now, and now I'm here. <laughs> so there's just little things. One of the I'm things that with. comes up for me is how clapping is a physical movement. Yes. Which is do it. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's like, it like comes yeah. out of our body. It's that freedom to just yeah let our body do what it wants to do. And we see little kids. I remember when I was a lifeguard, 
there was a kid who was who was on the spectrum who he would just like kind of walk around the pool and like before he'd jump in he'd always clap it was like he couldn't hold in the excitement (laughs) right and you see like I mean dogs with super wiggly butts they cannot hold it in because why why do we try and hold it in yeah so that's yeah that's you're highlighting it for me it's the 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 calling it in but it's also the letting it out um you did you ever see wallace and gromit the Mm -hmm. um so whenever they talks about i don't know if it's wallace or gromit i can't remember which one but they when they talk about cheese they do their hands like ooh, you know cheese (laughs) and we'll do that as a family sometimes we'll sit down and i do it in my own work i i constantly watch my clients hands constantly I'm watching their arms and I'll, I'll always, um, I've, I'll say frequently, if you want to know what's going on, I work primarily with women. I work with a few men, but watch her arms, watch her hands, you know, and even if you're not famously like gesticulating, you know, some people will say, Oh, I talk with my hands. Even the people who don't think they talk with their hands are revealing, you know? So Tell us more about that. So like, what does it mean? I mean, now I'm like (laughs) conscious of, you can't see what I'm doing with my hands, but they are moving. Um, Okay. I'll give you an example. So what's your question? I want to make sure I'm getting Well, No, I want to know everything you know about what people are doing with their hands. Okay. So I'm going to give you two stories, two examples. The first time I became aware, I, I do talk with my hands when I dance. Like I, I, I take up a lot of space when I dance and I will often at my, my um, storytelling evening called She Speaks, I come in, um, I come into music and all the speakers that I have, we don't do formal introductions. I always say, just see the song she chose and watch how she moves and she'll tell you everything you want to know if you're, if you're looking and you're listening. And so um, with I know I talk with my hands. I have people tell me that all the time. I love watching your hands when you talk. And I remember when I got tattoos on my, um, I have tattoos on the inside of my wrist that mean things. And when I first got them, I would watch people's eyes try to zoom, you know, and like, oh, they're looking at those. It's not interesting because those are mine. <laughs> but I noticed you're seeing them. So I'm used to me and my hands, and that's something I do. But I remember having a women's circle, I do a women's circle, and one of the themes, and one of the themes was something like um, working your magic. And I stopped and I was like, what is magic? And there, there was just this dead silence, like, you know, it was eight women, dead silence. And I just sat in the silence and eventually, I watched one by one. I don't think they were aware of this at all. This woman um, started to to do this, like she was pulling taffy apart with her hands or dough. And she was doing it before she was using her words. And then another woman was like, you know, and I was like, oh my God, those are our like magic wands, you know, like, and I'll use my hands a lot, like to clap things or snap or whatever. So I understand there's power. Do you remember the book, The Power? No. It came out years ago. It's fiction. Put that in quotes, fiction. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the story about how women who went through their, 
when they became of age and they men started menstruating, they activated this power that had electricity course through their hands. Oh, I remember they, hearing about this. They book. awakened, they awakened their mothers who had kind of uh, lost that. It was all about women's electricity. Oh my God. This is not fiction. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's when I started to realize there is power, there, there's power in our hands. And we know this, this is ancient. This is nothing new, but our brains can't get around it. So I'm listening to the story about women trying to find their words and wrapping their brains around this concept of magic outside of a construct of like Wiccan or what we're told and taught about what that means over there, <laughs> you know? And that's when I was like, look at our hands. And people were like, oh, you know, and I was like, they know it, your hands know, like they're starting before our brains are. And that's when I started tracking it. And, and truth be told as a coach, you know, I, I, I know communication is 90% um, body language and energy, 10% words. So I'm always reading energy and I'm always like, I was working with a client just yesterday. She was talking about something. And her, her head was moving further. She had her head in her hands and it was moving further and further and further down. And I was like, how heavy is that head right now? Huh? You know, and she was like, but so, so that's when I pay attention to body language, certainly, but hands in particular. And here's the other story I'd offer you. Um, and this is recent. I was working with someone recently and she was talking about, um, especially with COVID, this is a big topic these days of like, remote work, I'm over here, you're over there. And now I'm either wanting to come in and interact face-to-face -face, or companies are requiring it or with a great resignation, a lot of people that I know and have worked with have left and now they're considering re-entering. So there's a lot of like, the classic term is like on-ramping or coming in off having been remote over in this pasture where it's, a little bit easier to do boundaries and root yourself as a big oak tree than it is on tarmac and you know the, the the highway. And so this woman is doing that and she's getting ready to go inside an organization again, having been outside for um, let's call it six months. And so she wanted to talk about boundaries. How do I maintain, how do I stay rooted and stay me and hold on to everything I just worked on and not just throw it right out the window the minute I go back into this uh, conventional construct because she's unconventional. Most of my clients are. And so she's using the word boundaries. And when she's talking, she's, she's doing, you can't see me, but I'm stretching my arms all the way out in front. And she's like, I was like, well, what does a boundary look like? And I would get curious. And she would do this sweep of her arm out in front of her but not like her hand, her whole arm with a locked elbow. And I was like, see that arm's length? And I was like, that's distance. And then this is also someone who has talked about um, wanting to be included and feeling invisible. Now, what you might not know about my clients too is most of them refer to themselves as sort of outliers or outsiders or fringe dwellers or um, weird, wild, different, unconventional. These are my people, this is me. And so she's wanting to sort of belong and fit in, but also honor herself. So how do you stay 
outside and at the edge of something and also be in the center of something at the same time. That was her dilemma. And I watched her arms and there were, it was so fascinating to me because I was like, there it is. Your body knows it's, it's, it's not necessarily a boundary it's distance. So you can see perspective because you can't see what's here. So she was like, I need. And so she was in her mind, she had connected being a team player, being visible, being seen, being valuable meant she had to be in the center of things and she had to not have distance because if she was distance, then she was isolated. I'm putting that in air quotes and she was separated from everything. And so we, we disconnected all that and we reframed it for her that that distance that her arm knew she needed. And that, and it, what was beautiful is it wasn't like her, her palm was out like in football, what do they call it, a Heisman? You know, you take your palm and you keep people away. Her palm was facing up and there was this beautiful sweep that she did in front of her. That's like a dance move. That's like yeah, it was. And it's also like, I'm sure, I don't know Tai Chi, but there's, that's how you dance with energy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a beautiful cleansing of it. And there's an off, like we talked about an offering. And so just reframing and noticing, you know, our hands and our arms. And there was another one where she, she referenced something and she said, um, and this is, I'm using this one story, but there are so many examples that are exactly like this, where um, she was braced, she, she was like this, she had her arms over her chest, like what they teach you if you're jumping into water, you or going down one of those big scary right, water when you slides. go down Geronimo at water country there, you, there's a name for it of course there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she was talking about that and if you look at the arms there the protective heart defensive even posturing the the um the unsafe feeling that that suggests um you know, she didn't want to be there either. That's what she'd come out of. And that's frankly not what this new organization was asking for. So yeah, it's really illuminating. So the more you talk, the more I'm realizing, of course, our hands are like, our body is our sacred energy vessel. Our hands are how we connect to the other sacred energy vessels, to the energy around us. Like the palms up receiving, we we all know that. And then like- You know, when we touch someone, the the primary way we touch other people is through our hands. hands. Of course, the hands matter. And the, you know what, the interlacing of fingers. Did you ever see, um, what's that movie with the people with the blue tails? Um, oh God, I'm losing it. Um, Avatar. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, whenever they get on an animal or whatever, they, they interlace their, their tails with the like little tentacles in the, the tentacles of the horse and they, they transmit communication back and forth. I see you is what they say, you know? And so when you look at intersections, yeah, that's what I think of. Like our hands are almost tentacles that are capable of dividing and, and interlacing as opposed to being like a fist. Right. Very, very different. So it's the palm that's the like. Yeah. The, open hand yeah. you know like that's our like soft white belly that's all our vulnerability oh, that's yeah. our like hi i give you i give you my palm 
And if you talk with some people, they would tell you that's your whole story, like palm readers. I don't right. know these people, but I've like, um, you know, your hands tell a story, you know, that's all they need to see. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? So then going back to Clyde, the ability to make would, noise with your hands. <laughs> he would get such a kick out of this story <laughs> because he, you know, this is a guy who died when he was 95, grew up lived his whole life in one house, same house in Northern Maine, didn't have past an eighth grade education, but he would read Encyclopedia Britannica's for fun. He was the smartest guy I know. So self-educated, like did all the numbers in his head. Like whenever he played cribbage with you, he was doing all the odds. He knew everything, all the numbers, really sharp guy. And, you know, I remember the first time I met him, I think, somehow like Shirley McLean came up. So this is a Christian family, Catholic family, um, but he wasn't, he wasn't um, uh, someone at his funeral, someone described him as godly, but not Christian, you know, God-like, but not Christian. It was beautiful because that's what I believe. So we sort of connected on that because I don't identify as a, as a Christian and I can't remember how it came up but of course it came up in my New Jersey like way of like believing in multiple lives. And like, I would be so stressed if I only believed I just had this one life to play with because I have lists for multiple lives. Like I would love to love sushi and eggplants in my, um, and big next things time. next time, but not this, t- it's just not happening this lifetime. So I just put it on my next lifetime list. And so we were talking about Christy, um, uh, Shirley MacLaine, who was famous for like the 80s or 90s, uh, she imprinted on his brain as like this crazy believer in multiple lives because she was like Shirley MacLaine, like. And I was like, you don't, you don't believe that, you know? So I was always the the person that he loved, but had such different views than him, and he was the most curious man. And that's what I loved about him. And I hold him actually as my model of don't write anybody off. You know, this is a guy who was registered as a Republican and grew up in Northern Maine, you know, had very different beliefs and yet was so open and curious. And his favorite phrase that he would say, and if you were listening to this conversation, which I'm quite certain he is, even mm-hmm. though he might not It's his first podcast, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right, right, right is he would be like, holy mackerel, you know? Isn't that interesting, you know? He would pause, holy mackerel. And sometimes if he was skeptical, he would be like, huh, you know? (laughs) But I'm sure this conversation would give him a holy mackerel. I feel like we should paint the picture of Northern Maine because I'm thinking the majority of the listeners have never been there. Maybe no listeners have ever been there. I hadn't. And, and my mom, you were, I think before we started recording, you were talking about the first time your husband took you up North. The first time my dad took my mom up North, she saw the signs for, you know, some of the towns aren't named they're like entering oh, there's t4 or and, nine yeah, yeah and she's like where are you taking me and she was from massachusetts why? right why why do they not have a name is yeah. there no here? like what no it's just there's only yeah. three people that live there well now i know that because yeah. i've lived here for 30 years but <laughs> yeah. 
it's, it's a population thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My aunt sure. used to work on the border. Um, she worked in customs and border patrol. Okay. And she worked in Vanceboro and mm-hmm. she had a t-shirt from there that said population like bears, 300 moose, 700 right. deer, a yeah. few thousand humans too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was trippy going up there for the first time. It was, it's just extraordinary um, extraordinary people, um, in that, I, I mean, I think before we started recording, I told you the story of like, what would you do if you went off the road? And my husband was like, well, you stop. And I was like, what, you know, <laughs> I feel like I'm painting a bad picture of New Jersey, but like, you don't actually down Everyone there. already has a That's, picture of New Jersey though. I exactly. Like. <laughs> I know. Um, but you don't. And for safety reasons, certainly as a woman, that's just not you. I mean, I remember riding on the rims of my Toyota Tercel, you know, in White Plains, New York to get across the bridge because you just don't stop until there's a streetlight. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. So when we went to Northern Maine with all that darkness and like, Jesus, you know, we're talking 40 miles between, uh, what is it, Medway mm-hmm. and Holton? That's mm-hmm. that. That's where I got no radio us. stations, no oh, billboards. No. Most of the time, no, no, no other cell cars. Service. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes no cell service. And back in the day, I think they might have it now. And so, you know, you take care of your neighbor up there, regardless of if you, like liking them, knowing them mm-hmm. is not a requirement. It's just they'll die without you. And there's something in that stock, like here in Maine, in I live in Southern Maine and if you are hiring someone in Maine and they say they're from the county, which is Arista County, that's like code for you want this person on your team because they're you know, going to. I used yeah. to use that a little bit in that people would say, are you, when we lived in Maine, are you from Maine? No, I was born in Massachusetts, but my dad's from the county. And all of a sudden, yeah, all these doors do would open up. <laughs> yep. I would, when I go up to Northern Maine and I would go for a run. I still fear um, running on a back road as a woman because that's in my, in my DNA. And so I've got my head on a swivel for pickup trucks that slow down or, you know, I'm in my mind, I could be picked up and taken away at any minute. So I always joke when I'm in Northern Maine that I want to have on the front of the shirt, something that says Jepson so that they know my people. And on the back, I want to have something like I'm Clyde's daughter-in-law. Like yes. all you need to do in Northern Maine, and I kid you not, if you go up to Northern Maine and you say my last name, they're like, which Jepsons, you know, and all you have to do is say Clyde. And he's like a legend up there. He's he's literally like the Marlboro man of Northern Maine. It's amazing. He's in a lot of people's hearts for such a small man, like a mm-hmm. short man quiet, quiet. The other thing about Northern Maine is the humility that's up there. The humble, I've never encountered anything like it, like it, how humble people are. Quietly awesome, you know? It's just amazing land. And then the land itself is just extraordinary. It reminds me of big sky country when I went out west. It's just 
you know when you go up there that lots of people will never see this land. It's that it's got that feeling. So there's yeah. a reverence for the land because it sustains. The other thing that I loved about Clyde was that this is a man who uh, my husband will say he scraped his living from the soil. That's what potato farmers describe their life as. And it required a relationship with the soil that, you know, farming and agriculture and agra business is, it was very cool to see firsthand how Clyde honored the soil. Like you, you can't demand something to come from the soil that it can't give you. So you let the land let rest. So you fields go fallow and you rotate the crops and you um, nourish it and you, you have reverence for the land up there. And not everybody does, but he did, you know? And that was really, and this is a man who had four daughters and one son. So he was surrounded by, I was very keenly aware this is a man who was surrounded by very strong women for most of his life. And he had a relationship with mother earth that was also based in respect. So do you think that that's where the noteworthy. humility comes from? That deep reverence for mother earth? I have to think, I, I don't think it was conscious with him. Like, again, no one ever taught this to Clyde. It just that I know of, cause you don't hear people talking about it up there, but yeah, I, uh, there's a, there's a, what's the word? It's um, um, reciprocity. There's this give and take of humanity, you know, um, humanity and nature. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not overpowering. I'm not going to possess you. I can't possess you. It, it was very noteworthy. You know, Does that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was actually just reading about this last night, the difference between power as domination versus power as dominion. Yeah. And yeah. domination is trying to control and order and right. boss someone around and take. Right. And what's the other one described? Dominion as? is like empowerment. It's the, we all do this together. Yeah. I, I use the, I don't often use the word empowerment. I have an interesting relationship to the word empowerment. Cause I think it's often used in relation to people at the margins and women and people of color. You don't see a lot of men's empowerment conventions, but women's empowerment, you know, um, they, that may, that's makes a lot of money for people. Anyway, I won't go off on that rant, but the word that comes to mind that gets at what you were just talking about is steward, yes. you know? So in other words, I'm not, I'm not overtaking you. I'm not powering over you. And I'm not also being passive and let you overpower me. It's this dance that we do together. And that's why I love, and see my hands, see my hands? <laughs> Your listeners won't be able to see what I'm doing, but it's like this dance. She's plowing the field and then- Yeah, <laughs> like it's the winds. It's in. what the winds do. It's what water does. And it's what us humans have just forgotten to do. Mm. The word mm. steward too, it just speaks to my heart so much. I told you that we want to move and we don't, don't yeah. know where yet. And one of our 
requests is we want to live someplace where we can be stewards of the land once again, as we were in Maine. And yeah. Do you know, I heard about it recently. I don't know if you saw um, Florette and Erin, I'm not going to do right by her name, Erin Brockenberger, that starts with a B. But she has a company. Yeah, I feel like it's it's not Erin Brockovich. It's not that oh, uh, oh, lawsuit okay. woman, lawyer. No, her name is Erin something. You can find her. And if you Google Floret, F-L-O-R-E-T, that's the name of her business. And she originally had a flower farm in, it's in Seattle. And um, it was small. And she eventually realized we can keep growing flowers and sell them regionally because if you transport them beyond, they'll die. Or we could morph into a seed company and we could, we could sow flowers and, and sell them all over the world. And so it's the story of her, um, it's the story, I don't think it was on Netflix, it was on um, another Disney or it was another thing, but Florette, um, uh, Chuck and Joanna Gaines uh, thing that they did, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines show, but she, talked about it episode two I'll never forget shows the story they had a very small parcel of land and they used the land um in concert with their business um and they they uh, the abutting property watched them over the years and had a fondness for what they did so when they sold the land they offered it to this woman and her husband for their business and they showed the show and I love this concept she said what if we didn't just use the land, but what if we tithe some of the land back to itself? And I'd never heard the word tithe used outside like a church of of like automatically repay some of it to the, we give back. And that was like this moment for me of, boy, that's where it's at. Is, is is giving back to the earth, giving the earth back to itself, right? Uh, Isn't that a uh, great concept? That is, it's, I, um, it's delicious. I can't refrain I from know. saying it's delicious. Yeah, it just felt, it felt like a very feminine model of um, commerce and organization. I look at, you know, masculine models, not men and women, but masculine and feminine models. And I was like, oh, that's the feminine construct of, um, it, I was just like, I was fascinated by it. So I'm, I'm obviously so enamored of it, playing with it in my mind, but how do I, as opposed, it, it's just different than giving back. Tithing is like, it's getting down at the, the wellspring underneath the earth. It's not just planting. It's so different than like, if I buy a tree, I'm going to plant a tree. Every time you buy a shoe, I plant a tree. And that's great. But this is deeper than that. It's like, I want nothing from you. Like I want, it's just yours. You know, I have no, oh, delicious. Anyway. Like here, go nourish yourself. Yeah. Create, create the beauty that you want to create. Do your thing. Shine your light. Yeah. Or not. But thank you. Right. 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 You know, you do you land. It, it just, it, it owns, it recognizes the land as its own being, mm-hmm. the planet that we're standing on, you know, just cool. So I think that is 
was the central conversation of Clyde's life, if I'm being honest, about, you know, he literally sustained his family. This is a guy that never took a loan from, you know, in the day when farmers had hard times, the government would give out loans. There's probably a name for it, but he never saw that need because he was like, no, other people need that. That's not, I will just find a way. We'll just live more simply. We'll just, and all five of his kids went to college. And I, I was looked at, at, at Lena, my mother-in-law, who is still alive. And I would sit with her at the kitchen table and like, just talk to me about sneakers, you know, or like sports or dental stuff, you know, like, what? I mean, I'm a mom of two. And, you know, she was the mom of, you know, five and a family of seven. And she ran everything. And when she met him, she did not, she's from Canada. She didn't even speak English, didn't know how to drive a car. Also an eighth grade education, also a brilliant woman. You know, it's just, I just feel really blessed to have been welcomed into that family, Mm. you know? And with such joy. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was so perfect for me because I come from a family of divorce and my mom remarried and my last name has never resonated with me. It's always been my first name, like Cher, Madonna or something like, I didn't always like Lale, but it, it's such an unusual name. It can often stand on its own. So my, my last name was always like a tag along. Like it never, I never really identified with it. It's why when I got married, I ditched it altogether because I never really identified so my middle name I I go by Leo Cooper Jepson and that's my middle name and then you know I'm a feminist and I love my it was very interesting when I got married and all of a sudden I was Mr. I was Mrs. Todd Owen Jepson and I'm like I'm gone I'm completely gone and that was that was hard and not good and got me mad. And the feminist in me struggled with that, but it never, I always loved the name Jepson because it always felt like something I was clapping in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what, for me, the word, the name Lael is a very main name because the is only, it? I know three Lales, you mm-hmm. and two people mm-hmm. I went to college with, and I went to college in Maine. So I don't know anyone outside really? of the state of Maine named Lael. Were those people that you went to college with from Maine originally? I know. I think There's they a lot both of were. <laughs> I think they both were. I know one of them was. Yeah. 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 It's, there's a lot in uh, California, um, other places. And I always, I can always tell when someone is Jewish from my neck of the woods down in New Jersey, most of my friends were Jewish and they would always pronounce my name Lael because it's, that's the Hebrew. It's Hebrew and Gaelic. So I would, a lot of my clients, if they're Jewish, will, I love when they call me Lael because it's, I love Hebrew. I think it's so cool. It's so beautiful. Such an expressive language. Yeah. Yeah. So. So we we need to wrap this up soon, but do you want to bring it back to your discovery of how have you discovered since writing about Clyde and thinking about his ability to anticipate joy. How have you found that you have welcomed in the concept of anticipating joy or anticipating ease, anticipating the goodness? Yeah. Um, 
Maybe not. It's wait, of, wait, I want to yeah. rephrase that because maybe it's not anticipating, but like ushering it in the way the clap ushered you in. It does. There's a difference. So there's there's a difference for me between being open to the possibility of something and actively calling it in. That's what shifted for me. When I connected recently with this story with Clyde with a clapping, that is the active, that is the act of ushering it in, is saying, come, you know, that's like, I hope you find me. That's the difference between potentially, uh, you know, I'm open and available <laughs> to, to pleasure, to joy, to ease, to grace, to intimacy, to love, to all the things that we crave as humans. I hope that finds me like, it's almost like I'm a piece of black felt and a little white thing will stick to me. Wouldn't that be lovely? That's so different. That's like what I would call in my coaching world, of be available, let's be available. How could you be available to something finding you to hold more space so that it can find you too. But then I also use this phrase in coaching of where can you run up and meet serendipity halfway? Let's mm. presume something's trying to find you where can you run up and meet it halfway? And I think that clapping in joy brings the active part. The, the, we have hands, we, are, we actually have opposable thumbs, you know, as humans. So um, it, it accelerates, I'll often talk about in coaching, how can we accelerate the inevitable a little bit more? Not to like wish away time, but to be more of, um, it's like, you know, the little lights on runways when you're flying at night and I've never been a pilot, but I imagine they're in the cockpit, you know, flying in the fog or seeing the dark and the planes going down and they're being led by instruments anyway. But I always have this imagination of the little light from the runway going, bling, 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 like land here, here's the runway. Here's the I, runway. I have to share this tangent because we have yeah. a, a neighbor who's a pilot and apparently that is true everywhere except Newark. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, the infamous Newark airport. Yeah, so that's what I think anticipating joy is, is it's turning on your runway lights to be like here, here, you know, here I am, um, land on me, you know, pick, um, pick me, pick me sooner than later. I'm available. I'm excited for you. You know, it's, it's like making yourself known. And I think more important, Kelsey, it's like going on the record for like, I see you and I, I'm ready for it. Like I'm here. What do we do before we catch a baseball or even Clyde would do it before you'd hand him the baby. You know, when we had babies, he would clap, 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 and then reach for the baby, you know? Yes. So it's like, it, it's the catching, catching position. It's what midwives do. They mm -hmm. get and they cat, they have their hands out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super cool. What an awesome conversation. This is so much fun. Thank you, Lael. Thank you, Clyde. I really appreciate being invited on. I had, I love the word behind you. I don't know if your listeners know it's there, but you have a bright red wall behind you and the word joy. And it, this has been such a joy. It's been awesome. Oh, so, I feel the same way. I, this was, yeah. Yes, this was such a gift. You are Yay. such a gift. And <laughs> so is Clyde. If people oh. want to connect with you, get on your wonderful yeah. email list, take some of your new courses. Where, oh, how can you. they connect with you? 
Um, the best way of finding me is to go to shechanges.com because I'm not hanging out on social media much. And if you go, there's, there's older stuff out there. Um, but I'm talking with people like you weekly, which is again, such a joy. I am just loving it. And, um, so on my website and the homepage, there's, um, there's, if they, you scroll down the page, there'll be different ways of playing, be it one-on-one or with groups or just, you know, um, with yourself, with me as a companion, but not there for real, like within on the courses that I do or the books that I've written, um, you know, or the weekly emails that I send out. People say that when they read those emails or read my books or my blog, it's like they're having a conversation with me. And I think that's high praise. Yeah, you definitely write so, in your own voice. Well, thanks. And I have live events in the Portland, Maine area, but those aren't happening right now um, because of COVID, but they will again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my website. It's the best way of finding out what's coming down the pike. I've got a woman's writing experience coming up in April. That's nearly full, but it's just, I just hang with some great people. It's just me. People call and they'll say, can I speak with, and I'm like, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I keep it that way very intentionally, but there's a great intimacy and a awesome community. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just incredible, incredible joy. And I've been doing it for 17 years, you know? And if I sound surprised, I mean, I was in the corporate world for 11 and I thought that was an eternity. So um, it's been it's been 17 years, which is crazy to think about, but so awesome because it still feels so full of joy and discovery because I get to create a lot in this business, which is key for me to stay alive. I hope you keep doing this because you are oh, thanks. just, you're such a gift to the world. You. Thank you so much. So thank you, thank you so, so much, Lael. Thank you so much for listening to that conversation. If you enjoyed it, please share it with all your people and Make sure you go check out everything Lael does. Her website is shechanges.com. And if you enjoyed this episode and you are excited to do so, please head over to Apple Podcasts and or Spotify and give the Find Your Awesome Podcast a five-star rating and a glowing review. I would appreciate that so much. I love you. Get out of here. Go play and go forth and be awesome. Awesome.